You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. Hello, everyone. It's Takuya here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. Who did what now? The history podcast that's not your history class with me, your neurodivergent host, Katie Charlewood, true crime enthusiast and reader of books. I am currently in the sitting room next to a beautiful wood burning stove. Um, I say beautiful, it, I, I need it to heat the house. It'll be cold. I won't have hot water if I don't heat it up. So, um, mm, heat the water so I can have a bath later or maybe a shower. <sighs> Maybe I'll settle for it. No, I'll have a bath, because I love a bath. Ah, hi. Look at this. Look at me. Back to a regular schedule. Uh, yeah, sorry about that. Everything just kind of happened at once, and I still wasn't well enough to record, but eh, it's fine. I'm back. I'm back. It's all good. So I'm currently sitting here with a cup of tea and a Winnie the Pooh mug, because I'm an adult who makes their own life choices. And I have come to a conclusion. You know how some people say if they ever go, like, missing or they're murdered, get two white women with a true crime podcast, because they'll solve it. See, I don't think that's the best way to go. I want Swifties. I want Taylor Swift fans, because they can comb through years and years of, of footage looking for evidence and making connections and finding patterns that no one else would notice. If you need an investigator, you get a Swiftie. Like, absolutely 100%. And, uh, yet news, it was an interesting week. Because, like, three eras of Blonde, like, kind of had their moment. So, Paris Hilton got married. Go Paris. Absolutely, we're here for that. Fucking love Paris Hilton. Um, Then, of course, Britney is free. Uh, So, and, and Taylor Swift released Taylor's version of Red which I swear I think almost broke the internet. But let's reverse back to the Britney thing for a second. So we're all very excited and very happy that, and I'm saying this um, more so for my followers that are actually from like the US, because it's all fine and well to be like super happy for Britney for being free of this incredibly violating um, conservatorship. But you, we need to support your average disabled person who has their autonomy ripped away from them in the manner that Britney did. They need your voice and your support and your awareness as well. Was it one of my friends said to me, like, I hope Britney's dad gets sued. Like, I hope she sues him. And I'm like, 
Yeah, but also, I would very much like her to hire a forensic accountant to follow the money to see exactly he managed to swindle and steal from her. But hooray to the blondes! Huzzah! Oh, and um, in our news, it's my birthday this week. Yeah, one year older and one year closer to death. Which is um, what I put on my brother's birthday card every single year. And yet, he still speaks to me. I don't know why. So I managed to get like a flight, a round trip to Scotland and back for €23.98. Granted, my carry-on luggage is a 38cm long backpack, which I have Marie Kondo packed the shit out of. I mean, there are going to be Marines who are like, you did a good job packing that bag, Katie. And I'm like, yeah, I did. Like, the only thing I know I pack too much of is underwear, but I just don't like the possibility of not having enough knickers. That's just how it is. My funds are uh, not, not great. So basically I have penny pinched and picked the cheapest possible travel options, which does involve me having to get a 2 a.m. bus. Zero out of 10 would not recommend, but I'm doing it. And honestly, I'm really looking forward to my birthday for the first time in like a really long time, probably a decade. Happy birthday, happy birthday. Mm. I know some people were asking about sending um, cards and gifts and, and stuff. If you really want to, um, the fan mail address are listed in the show notes down below. And if you go into any of my social media, it'll have my beacons page, which will have like my Amazon wish list, my PayPal, my Revolut, uh, all that kind of stuff, my coffee. If you really, if you really wanna, um, I won't say no. <laughs> It's such a perfect day, I'm glad I spent it with you. But I know what you're thinking, you're thinking quit your jibber jabber and fact me, in fact you, I will. But first we gotta get our source on, as we were talking about Patrizia Reggiani and the House of Gucci. First of all, we have, of course, the book that the film is based off of, The House of Gucci, a sensational story of murder, madness, glamour and greed by Sarah G. Forden. Little Book of Gucci, the story of the iconic fashion house by Karen Homer. In the Name of Gucci, a memoir by Patricia Gucci, The Gucci Wife and the Hitman, Fashion's Darkest Tale by Abigail Haworth. And of course we have articles from The Guardian, The Times and The Telegraph. So, are you ready? Let's begin. So, part of me really wanted to talk about this story for a couple of reasons. You know, because I love many things in this world, including very important parts of this story, which involve true crime, empowered women, and many words that I will struggle to pronounce. So, uh, any excuse to try saying things in Italian accent and failing miserably. And I'm fairly certain I only know two words in Italian, the first of which being buongiorno, which is hello, and the other one being francobolli, which is a stamp, like a postage stamp. And you're thinking, Katie, why are the only two words you know hello and postage stamp? Well, first of all, you'll learn hello in most languages. Privet, buongiorno, dobrerano, tasht, jetic, etc, etc. And the reason I know Francobolli, that means postage stamp, is because I used to work in a souvenir store in Amsterdam and I had two very confused Italian tourists who could only speak Italian. And it took me and another girl, honestly, about eight minutes to figure out what they were trying to tell us. 
because she was German, I was this, and neither one of us spoke Italian, and the Italians did not speak English or German or Irish or French. But we got there in the end, after a game of charades, and that's the important thing. So let's start from the beginning, shall we? The Gucci family have vehemently stated that their roots are deeply entwined in that of the city of Florence, Italy, from like before the Renaissance. So we are talking 1410, this is pre... But the creation of the dynasty actually starts in 1897, when... uh, Oh, I'm going to have so much fun with this name. Guccio Giovan Battista Giacinto Dario Maria Gucci. I think I got that right. Um, Otherwise known as Guccio Gucci. That's right. He leaves Florence, stops off in Paris for a bit, and then ends up in London, where he's working at the Savoy Hotel. And he's a wee bellhop. Being the person who lugs around everyone's luggage, he keeps his eyes and ears open. He's paying attention to fashion and fabrics and and travel and like upscale travel because after that he ends up at the Compagnie des Wagons-Lits, basically a rail company in Europe which is just like travel for the rich folk, you know what I mean? After World War One, he ends up working for the luggage maker Franzi. By 1921, Guccio Gucci buys his own shop on 7 Via della Vigna Nueva in Florence. Azienda Individual Guccio Gucci. And he basically sells imported leather luggage. But not content on just, like, selling imported goods, he opens up a wee workshop in the back and he gets local craftsmen to make his own leather goods. And, like, he is killing it in the leather crafting business because he's got 60 artisans who, at this point, cannot fit in the back workshop and he has to expand and move into a bigger workshop. Unfortunately for Gucci Gucci, Mussolini, the arsehole, decides to invade Ethiopia, thus resulting in a trade embargo with Italy. Basically, there's not a lot of leather going around. He's got to think outside the box. They're basically using everything they can get their hands on. Wicker, wood, raffia, linen, jute even. Jute. You know what jute is? It is the stuff that sacks are made out of. Potato sacks. You know when they say you'd look good in a potato sack? If Gucci or Gucci was involved? Apparently so. By 1937, Gucci launches handbags. Gucci was very much a family business, as most businesses were back in the day. So Gucci had his wife and all his kids working in the shop. And his son Aldo, by 1938, convinces Gucci to like open up another shop in Rome and to start making like more Gucci accessories. So like gloves, belts, keychains, wallets, yada, yada, yada. But like during World War II, they they were creating less luxury items and were actually making boots for the Italian infantry. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure how I feel about that, but all right. So after the war, and Gucci Gucci's like, I'm done. I've made my money. I'm going to go relax now. I'm going to retire and chill out. And so he distributes the shares of the company to his three sons, Aldo, Vasco and Rodolfo. And from there on then, so the brand launches its first global tagline. Quality is remembered long after price is forgotten. And Gucci Gucci passes away in Milan on the 2nd of January 1953. 
10 months later, the very first Gucci store opens in the United States. And throughout the 60s and 70s, you know, when they're making stuff for, for people like Jackie Kennedy and Grace Kelly, like they're opening stores in Tokyo and LA and London, they're just everywhere. So Gucci has become this international, global luxury brand. The brand of movie stars and princesses and first ladies. It is the thing. Now that we know all about Gucci, let's get into the main character of our story, Patrizia. Patrizia Reggiana Martinelli was born in Vignola in the province of Modena, which is like northern Italy, on the 2nd of December 1948. Her mother was a single parent and Patrizia never knew who her biological father was. So when she was growing up, Patrizia, she grew up dirt poor. The girl knew poverty. When she's about 12 years old, her mum marries this entrepreneur, Ferdinando Reggiani, who basically made his money in trucking. So he was, he was new money and he also wasn't really part of like high society or anything like that because, you know, he, he worked for his money. Anyway, at one point he ends up adopting Patrizia and basically raises her as his own. And very quickly, Patrizia becomes accustomed to very fine things. From mink fur coats to jewels and other such beautiful finery. She liked it. She really did like it. And she didn't hide the fact that she liked nice things. Like, she is known as saying, I would rather weep in a Rolls Royce than be happy on a bicycle. Which is, um, fair enough. Each to their own. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. The next exciting member in this story is Maurizio Gucci. Maurizio Gucci, he was born in Florence on the 26th of September 1948 and he's the only son of Rodolfo Gucci and Sandra Ravel. So Rodolfo and Sandra, they were both actors in the movie biz. Like his parents actually met on the set of a movie, uh, Together in the Dark. Maurizio, he's the only son of these two and his mother dies when he's five years old from uterine cancer and his dad becomes incredibly protective of him. So in 1970, there's a high society party in Milan and Maurizio and Patrizia, their eyes lock across, I don't know, a dance floor? I don't know, some hors d'oeuvres? Hims to say. But they see each other and they're like, damn. Maurizio, he's, you know, he's from Florence, he doesn't really know anybody, he's kind of shy. Again, because his dad was so overprotective of him. And unlike the, you know, the typical socialites of the time, Patricia was strong-willed, exciting, you know, not the the wilting wallflower that, or like the trophy wife. So she's, you know, she's got a good few suitors, people are really interested in her at this point. Maurizio, he sees her and he's like, she looks like Elizabeth Taylor, who is she? I, I need to know her. 
So he chases her and they start seeing each other. When they're both like 24-ish, they get married in 1972. Here's the thing, Rodolfo, he wasn't super happy about this union, shall we say. He was quoted as saying that Patrizia was a social climber who has nothing in mind but money. Um, effectively, he was calling her a gold digger. Yeah, and... But that doesn't stop him from gifting his son and daughter-in-law a luxury penthouse in New York's Olympic Tower. So when they move to New York, they are the it crowd. They are mingling with the who's who of New York society. The celebrities of the time, I mean themselves, were probably seen as the celebrities of the time. Maurizio had always felt kind of confined by, well, the overprotectiveness of his father and his constrictive upbringing and the rules of who he was supposed to be as part of, you know, the Gucci hierarchy. And when he meets and marries and lives with Patrizia, he's free. Like, he gets to live his life and be himself. Rodolfo, he does sort of mellow out a wee bit when Maurizio and Patrizia's first daughter is born, Alessandra. And he ends up buying the couple, like, a bunch of properties here and there and everywhere. And they really were living their best lives. When their next kid is brought, Allegra, Maurizio buys a 64-metre wooden yacht called the Creole, which they would use to travel to private islands. So not only did they have the penthouse in New York, they had private islands, a holiday home in Acapulco, a farm in Connecticut, and a ski chalet in St. Moritz. Like, what? And you know, as far as they're concerned, everything's coming up Melhouse. And while he is doing whatever he's doing, hanging about in their chauffeured car, sailing their boat, or being involved in business stuff, but more importantly than you know, their relationship. Patrizia becomes the advisor for Maurizio. She was basically his business advisor. But when push came to shove, like she was the brains behind the operation. She was the one keeping it afloat. She was the one trying to rejuvenate and regenerate and keep Gucci at the forefront. But then the shit hits the fan. Uh, in 1983, Rodolfo dies. And Maurizio, he inherits his father's majority stake in Gucci. He's got 50%. And basically, Maurizio was mad that Gucci wasn't the high level prestige brand it once was. You know, because it was mass producing this and over licensing that. He wanted to go back to the exquisite craftsmanship the company was built upon. Um, cool, but you'll make less money that way, but alright. And because he wanted everything to be the best of the best, he was micromanaging and mismanaging, he wasn't listening to Patrizia anymore, and he was constantly feuding with his uncle and his cousins who basically jointly owned the other half. So he's fighting them for years. Years and years. So not only that, he's actually spending a fuck ton of money, like redoing sort of the Gucci offices in Milan and New York. He's just, he's hemorrhaging money. So Patrizia, she was his right-hand man, effectively. So she helped him plot a takeover of the Gucci fashion house. And so while he's fighting with his uncle and his cousins, he's actually assisted at one point by Rudy Giuliani. That's right, the same guy who was helping Trump. That motherfucker. Anyway, so by the mid-80s, you know, things are going going bad. He manages to buy out 
you know, the rest of the Gucci fam with the help of an investment group called Investcorp, which is Ron Seal Diamond Coat does exactly what it says in the tin. But effectively, their marriage just disintegrates. And one night he leaves to go on a business trip. I've I've okay. So it was either 1984 or 1985. I have looked this up many, many times and everywhere I look, it's a different date. It is either 84 or 85. It is one of those. Which one? I have no fucking clue, but that's what it is. So Maurizio, he packs an overnight bag and he gets the fuck out of Dodge. And the next day, Maurizio gets one of his friends to go visit Patrizia and inform her that he was leaving her for another woman and their marriage was over. No. Um, not cool. So, without Patricia's guidance, but, you know, when it came to the business, Patricia was right. Maurizio, he just wasn't making enough money to pay for the stuff he wanted to do. And even his personal fortune was... was slowly but surely being eviscerated, which forced his hand, meaning that he had to sell Gucci to Investcorp for $120 million in 93, I think it was. At some point during this, uh, Maurizio, he uh, divorces Patricia and initially his lawyers offer her a $2.5 million divorce settlement with an additional 650000 you know, sort of spousal support thing per annum. She called the divorce settlement a mere bowl of lentils. So Maurizio, he's moved in with the blonde Paola Franchi and they're planning on getting married. Patricia's like, fuck this for a game of soldiers and decides to do something about it because she's worried that, you know, Paola and Maurizio are going to get married and they're going to have kids which would then disinherit her daughters and it'll be a whole fucking thing. And also, she really didn't want another person to be the next Mrs. Maurizio Gucci. Because as far as she was concerned, that was her fucking title. She earned it and she was keeping it. She had grown accustomed to a certain way of living and she was not going to descend from that. And, and this is where things get weird. So Patricia is the brain. There is a brawn involved in this. But there's also an astrologer slash psychic. Sometimes you hear a story and you're like, no, no, this is definitely made up. But no, there's a fucking psychic. Maurizio and Patricia both had personal psychics, which they used to have a battle of psychics. Like, they were trying to get the juju off each other or something. I don't, I, I, I don't, what? You, rich people are really fucking weird. That's all I'm saying. Once you get money, it makes you do lalia. Which makes me really comfortable because if I ever get rich, I am just gonna... I'm gonna walk around like Bjork. I'm gonna be like such a weirdo. But, you know, a socially acceptable weirdo. An eccentric, some might say. But anyway. So, Paola Franchi, she is like freaking the fuck out because she is convinced that that Patrizia is spying on them. Like, because Patrizia somehow knows everything about everyone and all their business dealings and who they're meeting and where they're traveling. And she's constantly phoning and leaving, like, abusive, threatening, harassing messages. So, like, there are physical cassettes with, like, her threatening to kill him. You know, which, as evidence goes, it, it kind of kind of damning, some might say. So Paula's like... 
Seriously, Maurizio, you need to get a fucking bodyguard because she is cuckoo bananas and she's coming for you. And Maurizio's like, nah, she's just a woman and, you know, we've got kids. She's not going to do anything to me. Like, nah. But Patrizia wasn't really into hollow threats. On the 27th of March, 1995, at about half eight in the morning, the doorman of the Via Palestro Venti, where uh, Maurizio had his private office, was outside, sweeping some leaves. Maurizio walks in, saying good morning to the doorman as he stepped in, magazines in his hands. And then, a Maurizio was shot four times from behind. Three shots in the back and one in his head. Giuseppe Onorato, the doorman, he was shot in the arm. And as Maurizio is dying on the office steps, and as the killer flees, Giuseppe crawls towards Maurizio and holds him in his arms as he passes away. So yeah, the day after the murder... Everybody shush! William Shatner has something to say. Cat and Jethro, box of oddities. What do you do when the woman you love dies? Well, of course, you dig her up and you live with her. Aww. The show examines weird things. There are plenty of old photographs from this time period of children out in the streets playing in and among the dead horse carcasses. Oh, I miss those days. Things used to be so much simpler. Cat and Jethro. Then there's the urine wheel, which sounds like a really bad game show. They've done weird things. Cat and Jethro, box of oddities. That is really mysterious. Join Cat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. The Webby Award-winning Box of Oddities podcast from Airwave Media. Paola Franchi and her son Charlie, from her previous marriage, was like 11, they had received... An eviction notice from Patricia. Oh, um, and what's cooler than cool? Ice cold. The eviction papers were notarized less than three hours after Maurizio was murdered. Like, because at the time, like, if you weren't married, if you were just cohabitating, you had, like, no rights. You were out in the street. Tough fucking luck. So Paola and Charlie, they move out of the Corso Venezia apartment. And when they're out, Patricia moves back in with her two daughters. And they basically live in this, like, luxury apartment for two years until an anonymous tip comes into the police because a night portman is boasting about being the person who assassinated Maurizio Gucci because clearly he is not the sharpest knife in the cutlery drawer. So the police launch this sting operation to basically catch Patricia and her four accomplices. So there's Pina Oriema, who um, is the astrologer slash psychic. She literally, so, okay, I have to pause for a second and tell you about this woman, about this bitch right here. So she referred to herself as Reggiani's clairvoyant friend, a self-styled sorcerer, and a high society psychic. So basically, they arrange it so that they get the psychic, the friend of the psychic who set up the hitman, the hitman himself, and the getaway driver to to discuss the whole, you know, murdering of a man on wiretapped phones. And they fucking succeed. Evidence-wise, they have this discussion of the assassination on wiretapped phones gathered by the police. They have a Cartier diary 
taken from Patrizia's home, which on the day of Maurizio's death had only the word paradesos, which is the Greek word for paradise. Now that, I'm sorry, but that in itself, personally, is circumstantial. Everything else, okay, talking about the murder on the phone to other people, granted, acceptable. But writing paradise the day that your ex-husband is murdered when he's about to marry another woman and destroy your legacy? I kind of get it. I get that bit. So they've got that, and they've also got, like, the many, many cassettes of her talking about how much she wants to murder Maurizio. Oh, yeah. Also, in addition, furthermore, Patrizia was talking about writing some sort of biography, a sort of a tell-all about, you know, Gucci, and it would tell all their little secrets and things like that, and how it would have all these, like, skeletons in the closet that would absolutely destroy the house of Gucci. But anyway, the trail, absolutely fucking nuts. The psychic, Pina Oriema, confesses to organising the murder, along with Patrizia. Her friend, Ivano Savioni, was the hotel night porter who had boasted about the killing, and he was the guy who'd actually hired Benedetto Serolo, the hitman, and Orazio Sicala, the getaway driver. So everybody, apart from the hitman, Benedetto, confesses. They're like, yep, I was involved. Shit. Fuck. I did it. Shit. You know. In court... Patricia is like, right, okay, I'm innocent, I did want him dead, but I didn't do it. I wasn't involved in this, this was just a crazy random happenstance. She denies the whole thing, but she admits to paying the psychic about 200,000 quid, but not for assisting her in an assassination. Oh no, no, it was because the psychic had organised the hit and had claimed that she was going to frame Patricia for it if she didn't pay her. Which, uh, honestly, not not the best defence in the world. Doesn't help that she said that it was worth every lira. Good job there, Patricia, not digging your own hole. And also, she admits to, like, asking her friends how much a hitman would cost. You know, on a casual dinner party chat and not in a I'm actually planning to murder my ex-husband kind of way. (sighs) Her lawyers are, like, desperately trying to, like, not get her convicted for murder. They're they're trying to blame the fact that she had a brain tumour removed in, like, 92, saying that this affected her personality and sort of made her, you know, non-compass mentis for, you know, the crime. But the court's like, uh-uh, she's fine. So all five get convicted. Every single one of them is found guilty. <laughs> Done. Bye-bye. Off you go. So Patrizia, she goes... She goes to prison. In 1997, Patrizia was sentenced to 29 years in This gets reduced to like 26 years. And sometime in the noughties, the prison allows her to have a pet ferret to stay with her. Oh, okay, cool. Because that's a fun pet and not at all terrifying. Have you ever met a ferret? Ferrets are scary. If you back a ferret into a corner, it's going to kill you. Maybe that's why she likes it, because it's like a kindred spirit. Anyway... By 2011, she becomes eligible for parole um, under, like, this work release program. And Patrizia refuses, saying, I have never worked a day in my life and I'm certainly not going to start now. That was a really, really bad Italian accent, but you get the gist. Um, She ends up getting out in 2016 for good behaviour after serving 18 years out of what was originally a 29-year prison sentence. 
So under the rules of her parole, she's currently living in Milan. She's working for this costume jewellery place and she goes around shopping with her pet macaw on her shoulder called Bo. Some people say it's a parrot, it's a macaw. Currently, Alessandra and Allegra, they both live in Switzerland, enjoying the fucking massive fortune they got off their dad and they cut off their mum financially which, you know, is fair enough considering she organised the murder of your father. But hey, so Patrizia was asked about, you know, the House of Gucci movie coming up. And what she's mad about is the fact that Lady Gaga did not come and visit her <laughs> before performing, before playing her. She was like, it's just rude. She should have met me. <laughs> I kind of get her point. I feel like I shouldn't, but I, I kind of get her point. I don't support murder, but I do support female empowerment. Oh, and Patrizia, she's legally not allowed to use the surname Gucci anymore. Although she maintains she's more Gucci than Gucci are. So she is back to being Patrizia Reggiani. But what else will happen in her future? Nobody knows. Hims to say. And so ends our story. Patrizia Reggiani and the House of Gucci. Jesus, I just remembered something. When they asked Patrizia, I'm like, why she didn't just end Maurizio herself, she responded with, my eyesight isn't so good, I would hate to miss. So, what did we learn today? Hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. Do not trust anyone who refers to themselves as a self-styled sorcerer, or anyone who feels the need to have a battle of psychics. Like, that's just... Being convicted of murder doesn't ruin anyone's opportunity to be snarky, apparently. And yeah, so if you liked my retelling of this tale, go on to Apple Podcasts and rate and review five stars. Say something nice. My birthday's coming up. Come on. Come on. Come on. Uh, don't forget you can follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok with Who Did What Now Pod and also on Twitter with Who Did What Now PD. I am trying to like do more stuff for Instagram. I'm currently working through my 32 counties in 32 days stuff just to kind of get it back on track and get that going. Oh, and that reminds me, we have a new Patreon subscriber. One of my old patrons who had just rejoined, Haley. hi. I just want to say that you're gonna do an amazing job at the situation that has landed on your doorstep. You're gonna be fucking awesome, okay? Okay. Speaking of Patreon, that was a smooth segue, wasn't it? Um, (laughs) The next couple of patrons that join will actually get to choose the topics I cover for some episodes. (gasps) So go on to Patreon, go on to Coffee, go on to that and join and we will see what we can do. And so we are on recommendation times. I... I'm going to recommend a few things for you. I'm going to recommend you watch all two. Well, it's on YouTube. Have fun. Also, in addition, furthermore, for listening, I'm going to recommend that you listen to Taylor's version of Red. It's so good. It's so good. And um, reading. I actually don't have any book recommendations this week. But anyway, you have enough. Just listen to Taylor Swift. All the new stuff and the old stuff. We don't want those people getting money they don't need. And, you know, this is not going to be a fun one to edit because I have literally been talking for about two hours. <laughs> uh, it's gonna, It's fine. It's fine. Hopefully this will be at most 30 minutes. I'm so sorry if it's not. But I shall see you 
next time. Adios, au revoir, au revoir, my friends. Bye-bye. My name is Greg Jackson. I'm a historian, professor, and the creator of History That Doesn't Suck, a podcast that provides a complete overview of U.S. history through storytelling, yet keeps the rigor you'd expect in a university class. Starting with 22-year-old George Washington in his first battle, join me for a chronological telling of the United States' story. It's unlikely revolution, fractious civil war, tenacious inventors, brave reformers, and more. With more than 100 episodes, you can already binge listen your way through the progressive era. Find History That Doesn't Suck wherever you get your podcasts.